Wow, Superman, your hair sure grew fast while you were buried alive for 17 days. Kryptonian physiology is bizarre. I guess you have to cut your hair like every few hours, but your beard doesn't grow at all. following is an in-depth story analysis. If you haven't seen this film, you might want to before watching this review. In August of 2009, I made a video review that changed my life. It's presumptuous of me to compare Superhero Rewind to the likes of Death of Superman, but in miniature, it's similar in that the writers and artists who made that series had no idea it would be so successful. They did what they did because they weren't allowed to do the story they wanted to, marry off Clark and Lois, as the Lois and Clark TV show planned to do that and didn't want the comics to do it first. And I did Superhero Rewind because I didn't have the opportunity to do what I wanted, write for a living. And I had a lot of free time on my hands. It's funny how some of the best ideas come because of roadblocks. I loved superhero movies, but was also often frustrated with the repetition and often formulaic storytelling of so many of them, and had fallen in love with the process of critiquing stories while taking creative writing workshops in college. And as those first several weeks went by and I posted my reviews to what I was sure I would think of as the internet video graveyard, I found it so satisfying to get all my thoughts about these movies on video that I just kept going. Each fleeting but precious piece of feedback, a ray of yellow sunshine, strengthening my energy reserves and propelling me to continue. I began with a mission to review every superhero movie ever made. And of course, it didn't feel like the most monumental of commitments at the time, because if no one ever saw it and I ever decided I was fed up, no one would ever know I'd broken it. And it also didn't feel like such a daunting task. Sure, there were quite a few superhero movies, but we weren't seeing six new ones a year. There was no telling if Marvel's grand plan after Iron Man would pan out. We couldn't be completely sure if there would even be a Dark Knight sequel, and I was cranking these things out 10 to 15 minutes a pop once a week. Believe it or not, there was a time when I worried I might run out at the height of the series' popularity. Obviously, I had no idea what I'd gotten myself into. Five years later, not only am I not even halfway through reviewing every superhero movie ever made, but now that the format has evolved into a totally different beast, I'm starting to feel the need to backtrack and re-review movies I've already tackled. I chose Superman Doomsday as my first review somewhat arbitrarily. I was experimenting, not even sure exactly what kind of a show this was going to be, and I didn't want to begin with any of the major blockbusters, lest I made a complete fool out of myself talking about something so popular that some guy actually stumbled upon it through a keyword search and was so dumbfoundedly bored out of his mind that he clicked on it and ended up somehow even more bored than he was while scrolling haphazardly down search results for, say, Batman Returns. In actuality, when I did review Batman Returns, people weren't bored, just viciously angry that I disliked it so much. Don't worry, that one will eventually get a makeover as well. Superman Doomsday was almost an on-camera, off-the-cuff review, and the final product is only partially scripted, hence the lack of polish and sometimes weirdly paced pauses. The review is only six and a half minutes long, and looking back on it now, it's... Only mildly embarrassing, this was well before the days of the in-depth story analysis, and there's quite a bit more to say. As Superhero Rewind has been on hiatus for a number of months and had rarely reared its critical and wordy head for a good long time before that, I decided there was no more appropriate subject for its return than the first movie I ever reviewed, a movie about resurrection, and a movie based on the comics that are the reason I got into comics, and really a big reason I'm here doing this in the first place. So I'll get the first big question out of the way right now. Do 
I still feel the same way about Superman Doomsday as I did when I first reviewed it? Not exactly. As I always say, this review is based on the most recent experience I've had with the film. To some degree, each time I write a review, I'm reviewing the experience I had with the movie as much as I'm reviewing the film itself. Because after all, who I am at the moment has a profound effect on my perception of the piece. Movies are never the same thing to all people, even when the majority of us agree that a movie is great or that a movie is awful. I still think Superman Doomsday leaves a lot to be desired, but after reviewing so many movies since the last time I saw it, I noticed a number of things I wasn't looking for last time. My focus was mostly on how the movie stood up to the source material. I don't think I really took it on its own terms and examined it on its own merits. It's certainly a very loose adaptation of the original story, and it's maybe a shame not to see the four imposters who attempted to take Superman's place. But since this is telling a very different story, is there anything interesting or compelling here that perhaps I overlooked because I was so fixated on what I wanted to see as opposed to what's here? Yes, actually. There are a number of fascinating ideas introduced here I didn't even pick up on last time. The trouble is, nearly every thoughtful notion brought up is either summarily dismissed or, I think, unintentionally and carelessly played out in an oddly pessimistic and overly simplistic way. The lesson I'm forced to walk away with is that Superman can't die, so even though almost everyone instantly loses all hope for humanity without him, it doesn't matter if people aren't becoming self-sufficient and learning from his example because he'll always be there, and that whatever Superman does is always right just because he's Superman. I didn't realize it before, but this might be the most cynical Superman movie I have ever seen. Since Doomsday's name is in the title, let's start with his and Superman's fight, since it's obviously the reason anybody wanted to make this movie, besides the comic's immense popularity and the fact that it nearly had a live-action adaptation with Nicolas Cage. To date, this is still the highest-grossing movie of all the DC direct-to-video animated features at $12 million, beating Under the Red Hood by only a couple million. Believe it or not, both parts of The Dark Knight Returns haven't even come close close yet, about $9 million combined. But to be fair, that's still in print, I don't know the numbers for the double set, and Superman Doomsday has been around for a lot longer. As I complained about in the original review, Superman stupidly slams Doomsday into the heart of the city and creates a shockwave that busts up a lot of buildings, and I guess I'm just supposed to assume that since it's dark outside, nearly everybody's at home asleep, and that Superman x-rayed all those buildings just to make sure nobody would get hurt. Yeah. That's, of course, not the only collateral damage. Just like in Man of Steel, Superman grabs his opponent and thrusts himself right at a building instead of going anywhere else. Sometimes the problem with action scenes is that they're like the Super Bowl. It's just there for ambiance. Nobody expects you to actually pay attention to the game part. Everybody's just waiting for the commercials. It's the difference between the lightsaber fights in the original Star Wars trilogy and most of the ones in the prequels. In one of these, there's like you know, story and stuff that happens during those scenes. In the other, it's just a fancy light show until we find out who wins. Just like in 60s Batman, the outcome is predetermined. There's no pivotal action you're going to see that comes from a character place to get us there. And in the case of these two Superman movies, we're not supposed to pay attention to anything a character does or whether it seems to be in his character to do it. If it looks like people would die because of something Superman does, just assume they don't. It's Superman. These are action movies. You're thinking too hard. Gonna give yourself a headache. So just as it looks like Superman's spent and Doomsday is about to drop his finish him move, Doomsday threatens a kid and Superman musters enough strength 
to fly him into space. Forget what I said in the other review, I'm going to give the movie this one and assume Superman didn't do that before because Doomsday was too strong and that he can do it now because he's weakened Doomsday quite a bit. But even if that's what they're going for, I'm sticking to my guns on this. Why not keep going into space? The only reason I can think of not to throw Doomsday into the sun or something is because this is Superman and he doesn't kill. Well, first of all, we'll find at the end that he does kind of kill, and since the movie does nothing with the notion that he's come back different or worse or something, it looks like this is a Superman that, if there's no other choice, will consider killing. But even if that were the reason, the movie is weirdly vague about Doomsday's nature, and since it felt the need to change it, I sure wish we knew more about it. In the comics, Doomsday is a genetically engineered creature designed to adapt to any sort of death and resurrect himself. He's like the monster version of Resurrection Man, except he doesn't get new powers whenever he comes back. Well, except the power to not get, you know, killed that way again. I have to assume he's not that way in this, or it's really strange we're not told what happens to his body after his fight with Superman. Anyway, all we get here is a brief line from the Fortress of Solitude robot, who calls it a Doomsday Machine, after which Superman just obligatorily starts calling it Doomsday, and says that it can't tell friend from foe, and quote, destroys because it must. Anything programmed to just kill whatever moves has no friend or foe. You don't see heat-seeking missiles getting together to watch the commercials and ignore the Super Bowl. At first, I assumed the word machine was used in the proverbial sense, but then we get one first-person perspective shot from Doomsday who sees life through a screen that displays a lot of information in alien writing. So is this version totally mechanical or maybe even a cyborg? Was that maybe a weak attempt at mixing cyborg with Doomsday? Again, it's not a problem that it's different, but I only bring it up because if Superman knew it was a machine, he'd have no reason to even question pounding it into as many pieces as possible. But because it's left totally ambiguous, I have no idea why it was reimagined that way. It seems like if it were a machine, whoever trapped it on Earth might have found a way to turn it off instead of imprison it. If you ignore Superman's apparent blatant disregard for human life, this is certainly the selfless Superman who puts the well-being of everyone else in front of his own. A lot of the opening material before Doomsday appears serves to contrast Superman and Lex's ideals about helping people. For Lex, of course, helping people, or really any interaction he has with other human beings, is about manipulating that person to bring him the highest possible personal gain. People are means to an end. For Superman, people are ends unto themselves. I like Superman's repeated lines, sort of his self-given credo, whenever someone thanks him for saving them or solving some catastrophic problem, it's why I'm here. That's the endearing Superman. That's why I like him, despite the anti-Superman brigade that says he's too powerful and unrealistic and impossible to identify with. The Superman that fights for his adopted home until it kills him is not the Superman who does this because it's easy. The point is to protect who and what you are in the face of oblivion. Oblivion. If Superman is going to die, he's going to do it still being Superman, still setting that example. I like the attention that line draws to motivation. Superman is here to help. His powers are the tools he uses to do that. Lex is here to gain all the power he can and take over. And that's why he can't get his mind around what Superman stands for and that people worship the ground he walks on because he wants to be, as he calls Superman at the beginning, a god. Superman already is one, and he doesn't care. 
maybe he doesn't even completely realize it. And that's why he brings so much hope to the world. But while I like Superman's attitude about being a hero, he seems to perhaps give a little too much sometimes. At the beginning of the film, he seems almost more concerned with solving all the world's problems than he is with protecting people and setting a good example, like the guilt-ridden Jor-El from the Elseworlds comic story, The Last Family of Krypton. In that series, the entire El family makes it to Earth, rather than just sending Kal-El on a rocket, and Jor-El blames himself so much for not saving his planet that he overcompensates on Earth, changing the culture to such an extreme with advanced Kryptonian technology that he doesn't realize he might be creating a humanity that's dependent on him, and may be doomed to make all the mistakes the Kryptonians made that led to their world's destruction, if they aren't allowed to learn the tough lessons on their own. That's the mission the Jor-El of the Richard Donner movie sent his son on, to be the light to show the way, but not to interfere in the natural development of humanity. He hoped that Superman would simply show people how to be great. A people forced into greatness is not a great people at all. Superman here is trying desperately to use the technology of the fortress to cure cancer, and he's failing. This serves a dual purpose, first to drive home his opposing philosophy to Lex's in maybe a convenient and on-the-nose way. This is happening at exactly the same time as Lex learns that his scientists have cured muscular dystrophy, and instead of making the cure available right away, and after pointing out that he could cure every case immediately if he was so inclined, and I'm sure, to further his dominance over the ungrateful and unworthy peasants he lords over from on high. Superman's attempt to cure cancer also serves to illustrate that with all his power, he isn't immortal, foreshadowing his death, and to show that there are some things even he can't do. And interesting, perhaps some things that someone like Lex can do. He says he wants to be more than Metropolis's resident strongman. I really like this dilemma. Superman having to face his limitations, and for a minute, it really seems like maybe that's what the movie is going to be about. Superman might be losing sight of what his purpose should be, only to have it reaffirmed for him when he returns from the dead and the world is ruled by a dark and despotic perversion of himself. Modern stories questioning if Superman is really just an ideal to strive for, or if people would become more complacent, have been all the rage in the comic world over the last decade or more, especially in the New 52. People generally distrust anyone with too much power no matter what their agenda seems to be, and in the face of criticism like Superman isn't relatable, and the Dr. Manhattan question of the implications if he turns on us are so terrifying we shouldn't trust him no matter how many times he seems to prove himself. We're seeing a lot of stories attempting to put Superman in a more realistic, suspicious, and uncertain world. And like Captain America holding on to his ideals and proving himself still relevant in the face of an America that sometimes seems to put protection over individual freedoms in Captain America Winter Soldier, it can be incredibly interesting and thought-provoking, I think, to put Superman in that world and see if he sinks or swims. I've always said a dark Superman movie is a great idea, just don't make Superman the dark part. But despite presenting itself as a PG-13 movie for adults, Superman ultimately seems to learn very little about what the world would be like if he was taken out of it. And if anything, it makes him darker and no one seems to notice. We have a metropolis that becomes an incredibly depressing place, where very few people people, really nobody except for Lois, seems to have learned anything at all from Superman's example, and once he comes back, he doesn't question his own behavior like I think
think he should. Asking questions like, maybe no one understood what I was saying and they were just using me as a crutch. And those idiot lemmings who pretty clearly were just using Superman as a crutch don't ask questions like, wow, it never occurred to us what things would be like if Superman started taking advantage of his power and holy crap, this new Superman wearing black and wielding a kryptonite gun doesn't act anything like the Superman we knew. There are some good questions raised here, but the whole thing really falls apart hard in the third act, degenerating into an admittedly well-choreographed action fest that hopes I'll turn my brain off and not notice that Superman kind of just compromised his ideals while fighting a doppelganger who perverted them. If there was one time in Superman's entire career to publicly showcase his ideals, it's when fighting another Superman who thinks he has to impose order and that the rules don't apply to him. I'm not even really complaining that the people of Metropolis are so super cynical. That's really interesting, although it's pretty simplistic that everyone who isn't Lois responds exactly the same way. Oh no, there's no Superman. I guess the whole world is going to pot. So instead of following his example and doing something about it, I'll just embrace the madness. I suppose people need time to grieve, sure, but you would hope some people would still keep their wits about them in case they're not given that time, but it should really tell Superman something when he gets back. Maybe his attitude was off, or maybe he wasn't communicating his intentions very well. Metropolis' citizens expect Superman to save the day, over and over, and when he gives his life for them, they seem weirdly ungrateful. I mean, yeah, they think they need Superman so badly that they're real quick to accept the clone as the real McCoy, but they sure don't seem to care about him or what he stood for so much as looking at him like that GPS they didn't used to have, but now that they have it, they'd be lost if it suddenly got smashed to pieces by a doomsday monster. Instead of the bronze statue that tries to embody who Superman was, he gets a big black rock Superman S. Black? Really? Again, I don't want to complain just because it's different, but come on! You don't remember a person the way they died, you celebrate how they lived! That S seems to represent the despair and hopelessness of a future without Superman. Wouldn't he want to be remembered as a force for good that people can look to even after he's gone? When the clone hits him with it at the end, what is that supposed to represent? And why is Lois the only person who steps up and takes it upon herself to save people in the middle of catastrophe? Where's the steel or the bibbo of this world. I'd figure Superman would feel like Martin Luther King Jr. would if he were to somehow return from the dead in some dystopian universe where no civil rights progress was made at all and all he was remembered for was his tremendous speaking voice. A lot of the reason Death of Superman resonated with people is that it explored what a world without Superman would be like, the varying ways people would handle their grief, and seeing how Superman inspired people, good and bad. I could see some potentially intriguing social commentary here about how the character is perceived by the real world, and indeed, when the story was published in the early 90s, there was a lot of talk about how Superman was being seen as more and more irrelevant as more violent vigilantes and antiheroes were becoming all the rage, that perhaps Superman's ideals were unrealistic and naive, and that once the comics killed him, the publication stopped, and people began to wonder if DC was going to bring him back at all. They realized how much of an American institution he was then, and how wrong the world would feel without him. We always better appreciate what's taken away from us. So although this is a very different story, 
There was a chance here to bring that idea to the fore, to make the people's attitude about Superman here a fictional representation of how he's been sometimes taken for granted in real life, and why he's still relevant today. I don't feel like I'm rewriting the story to say the natural place to take this setup is for Superman to realize that he's failed in inspiring people, and to change his priorities, and for Metropolis's citizens, and even the main supporting cast, to realize how fortunate they are that Superman cares about them. Because if he wanted to, he could just take over the world world and nothing could stop him, especially in this universe, which apparently has no other superheroes and no Batman. Superman should feel like all his efforts were for naught when he comes back, especially since everyone takes him back with open arms after they were just oppressed by his doppelganger. It should take some time, as Lois first says it will, for them to embrace Superman again, and he should appreciate that earning their trust means they have the capacity to think for themselves and to grow. As he says, not everyone in power has the people's best interests at heart. I think Superman needed to tell them that. Now you may be saying to yourself, but Captain Logan, it's only an 80 minute movie. There's not time to kill Superman and explore the world he leaves behind and have some sort of exciting return. And I would agree with you. On the other hand, this movie's priorities are a little out of whack. I get that people love a good slugfest and that the comic book Doomsday Fight is one of the best in comics, but because that takes up so much time, it's 30 minutes into an 80 minute movie before the actual story starts being told. Superman's death feels really obligatory. The movie's attitude about it is one informed too much by the way we look at death in comics now. It's oversaturated, it's gimmicky, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, everyone knows he's not going to stay dead, so why even live in that world very long? The emotional impact of killing Superman is a footnote in comparison to the comics, where that was the heart and a lot of the meat of the story. Superman here is thought dead for only 17 minutes, and there's none of the mystique surrounding his resurrection. It's also a bizarre coincidence that the Fortress robot tells the revived Superman that it detected his life signs in the tomb 17 days after he was presumed dead. 17 minutes, 17 days. I mean, I'm not going to read into that or anything, but I can't notice a thing like that and not mention it. In a perfect world, we'd have a Death of Superman adaptation handled like The Dark Knight Returns, split into two films with an act and a half in each part. It's unfortunate that this was the first of the DC direct-to-video adaptations. It seems like Bruce Timm and his team went with a popular story to jumpstart this line, rather than adapting something they were really passionate about. I hate to say this team doesn't understand the material, but there's five times more reverence for the character and passion for this material, specifically in the 45-minute documentary about the history of the Death of Superman on the DVD, and even if you've never read the comics, if you watch that right after seeing this movie, you may find yourself scratching your head at some of the arbitrary changes that, if left alone, might have made this a tighter and more heartfelt film, regardless of its short running time, and a very different story. For instance, I'm questioning Superman's ethics in a way I don't think the movie means for me to early on, when he's dating Lois Lane and his Superman persona, but keeping the fact that he's Clark Kent from her. I mentioned how odd I thought this was in my initial review, but I think what makes it most problematic is that it kind of goes against Superman's values. How is a relationship not built on complete honesty a good foundation? I realize that in the comics, Clark dates Lois for decades before he finally reveals that he's Superman, but he does that shortly before death of Superman and by the same creative team for this very reason. It seems out of character for Superman to lie to the woman he wants to marry, even to keep her safe. Somehow it seems even worse when it's the reverse. The Superman persona having a romantic relationship with a woman and keeping Clark Kent from her, because at least as Clark, 
Clark, he's in the guise of a regular person. Superman is supposed to be as close to the model of perfection as he can be. Wouldn't he sacrifice a personal life instead of being so close to someone but keep secrets from her? How can the most basic ideals you stand for be truth and justice, but then as Superman, you don't tell the woman you love the truth and just hope nobody finds out about your relationship? Now, sure, if he went all the way with that ideal then he'd have to tell the whole world that he's Clark Kent. But there's a certain amount of practicality I think I have to give Superman. How could the man function if he had to be Superman all the time? He is a man too, after all. If, as Superman, he's going to be the ideal, he has to have a private life so he can keep perspective and remind himself what he's fighting for in the first place. And while we're on the subject, it's weird that Lois is the only person who puts herself on the line to save people after Superman's death, since she clearly doesn't understand them at all. She berates Superman for not telling her his secret identity, and when he explains that it's for her own protection, she says that's a load of baloney, and that it's because he has a, quote, very human, very male fear of commitment. First of all, that's unnecessary gender stereotyping. I mean, if Lois were to put herself in his shoes and she was trying to help people the way he does, wouldn't she have a fear of commitment too? This isn't the same thing as your typical macho guy who's afraid to get married because he'll be tied down and won't get to go out drinking with his buddies on the weekends or work on his 73 Impala in the garage every day when he gets home. Superman's life is a thankless, selfless one, and I'd assume, though I guess I can't be sure, that that's why she fell in love with him in the first place. So so while I question Superman's choice to date Lois in costume like this, I think his fears are perfectly valid, and I don't like that by the end, the movie is on her side about it, especially since I can't be sure what it's saying about all that. After he defeats the evil clone, Superman reveals his Clark Kent identity to her, and he hasn't really gone through any sort of character arc leading up to it. Is the idea supposed to be that now that he's had a close call, he realizes that life is precious and it's worth the risk? Or is it the opposite, that he's decided he can't die, and that after he beat Doomsday and survived, he's basically invincible and there's no reason not to throw caution to the wind? It certainly can't be because he realizes standing for truth but not being honest with Lois is kind of a double standard, considering the somewhat morally ambiguous way he defeated the clone... The clone is essentially an attempt at melting down the four Superman imposters into one character, though he's got more Eradicator in him than anything. He's a clone like Superboy, he's supposed to have Superman's ethics like Steel, and he's... I don't know, a bad guy that has an epic fight with the real Superman in a black suit at the end. The clone is, at first, another potentially awesome idea, and if what he appears to be were played all the way out, I would really respect the ingenuity in compacting that portion of the Death of Superman story into him. Lex says he built the clone with all of Superman's morality. We'll get to Lex's plan here in a little bit, because it's... Nonsense. When Lex sends the clone into the world initially, it has no problem acting just as Superman would, except with a more detached attitude, perhaps more because it had no experiences of its own, so it hasn't developed any attachments, but it has a programmed empathy. When Toy Man kills a little girl, the clone goes insane and takes it upon himself to make sure nothing ever goes wrong again, presumably because he took down Toy Man but couldn't stop that one murder. Feeling guilty, he takes it out on Toy Man and brutally murders him in the only place in this enormous metropolitan city where people actually congregate after dark. 
This calls back to Superman at the beginning of the movie, trying to come to terms with the problems in the world he can't fix. The clone has all the power, but none of Superman's true empathy. I love the idea that this is what a Superman without Clark's upbringing would be like, and also what a Superman created by Lex Luthor, who has the opposite worldview and can't understand Superman's, would be like. In his anger at accidentally unleashing a monster that destroyed Superman before he had the chance to do it himself, Lex, a la Victor Frankenstein, has accidentally created something just as terrible. It's interesting that at the beginning of the movie, the Fortress robot has that weird line about Doomsday not being able to distinguish friend from foe, and that actually much more aptly describes Superman's clone. Like Doomsday and whoever made him, Lex has, in his hubris, created something he can't hope to control, and which ironically shares values much closer to his own. In a way, he is what Lex wishes Superman was. Certainly Lex wants to be king of the universe, but what he can't stand about Superman is that he doesn't want that, that he flies in the face of Lex's philosophy because he doesn't have to take advantage of people, and yet he has all this power over them. Lex was so jealous that he just couldn't leave well enough alone and created something that's a much bigger threat to him than Superman ever was, and something even more dangerous than Doomsday. Doomsday was simply an indiscriminate killer. The Superman clone, without Superman to stop it, is both the literal and figurative downfall of humanity. It's what Superman always could have been and refused to be in order to prove to people that there is hope. But Superman has to go off and ruin the whole thing by shooting first and asking questions Never. I'm certainly not saying I couldn't be made to buy Superman having to kill as a very last resort, given two awful choices and not being able in the moment to come up with a third. I'm one of the apologists for the end of Man of Steel and only think that scene doesn't work because it feels like an afterthought and because of the lack of aftermath. But you know, at least that Superman feels really bad about it. I get this is a clone, but a case could sure be made for his being self-aware, and that the moment he became his own person was when he became overcome with grief for letting a child die. I like all the beats, by the way, about loss of innocence. Superman finds his last burst of emotional strength when Doomsday tries to kill a child. Toyman represents the loss and even perversion of the innocence Superman fought to preserve in a world without him. And it's the death of a child that forces the clone to move past his programming. But the trouble is, the end of the movie seems to embrace denial over the overall protection of healthy innocence. Superman doesn't even try to talk the guy down. This is a clone based on you who clearly seems to care about people and is just going about it the wrong way. Superman himself calls the clone misguided. The clone says, I am you, a reflection of what you might have been. And Superman oversimplifies the whole situation by saying, if I were raised by a Luther, the clone responds with, if you were strong. And I like that line a lot, and I wish Superman would look past Lex and see that this clone might have his own brain. I can't be positive about that with all of Lex's talk about an army of Superman under his control. Maybe this one really is defective, as Lex suggests, and he's no more a person than Doomsday. But then the movie wants me to sympathize with him at his obligatory death scene when he tells Superman to protect the people. If Superman just asked more questions and tried to appeal to the clone's possible humanity, he might find out the real reason the clone is doing all this, but the child Toyman kills is never brought up again. By this point, I really shouldn't even allow myself to give the movie this much thought, because it's clearly lost sight of the story it was telling, and is focused on any excuse to finish this out in another brawl. The clone's reasons for wanting Superman gone are pretty surface. His way works, and Superman was too weak. But if it were made personal, I tried it your way, and that little girl died, 
I'd be positive of the clone's motivations, would sympathize, and we'd have an intelligent argument on our hands. Can Superman always hold to his ideals? Must he make compromises? When should he make compromises? It's bizarre that the movie draws attention to how out of character Superman is when he comes back and then retracts it right at the end. Lois sees a black costume Superman carrying a kryptonite gun and says, that's not very Superman-like. And not only does she go get the gun for him while questioning his methods, but at the end, it's no longer an issue, and she believes he's the real Superman just because of the way he kisses her. Lastly, Lex Luthor's plot is the other major element that starts off fascinating and ends up completely silly and incomprehensible. I love this version of Lex until his true plot is revealed. He seems like the brilliant, calculating Lex who is so good at what he does he almost deserves his arrogance. James Marsters does a really ruthless and twisted Lex, and I'd really like to see him in the role again. This is the Lex that needs to beat Superman, or more accurately, needs the world to see him beat Superman. The most inspired idea in the film is Lex partly cloning Superman just so he can beat him up every day and get his revenge for Superman leaving too soon. That's one of the few elements that's so disturbing, but deliciously so, that it actually helps earn this a PG-13. When so many others are forced in its otherwise a silly cartoon masquerading as a serious piece. When the clone first appears, it's a couple of scenes before it's revealed what exactly he is. And I love seeing Lex play out this fantasy of sadistically pounding Superman without our knowing what exactly he is. That really should have been the movie. Lex hates himself for burrowing into hell, unleashing an uncontrollable hell beast, and he has to manufacture the history he always wanted to see happen. The nature of the clone he created doesn't gel with his master plan. We find out when Lois and Jimmy stumble into his clone room that he's building an army of Superman clones to take over the world. So he sends one clone out to make the world think Superman has returned. Why? It helps explain what happened to the corpse he stole so he could start the cloning, I guess, but after the new Superman's been around for, what, a few days? He already has all these nearly fully formed clones. Why not just develop a corpse and then replace the real one with it? Is anyone gonna even notice the grave is empty since you apparently retrieved it from underground? When Superman's body was taken in the comics, people noticed, but that's just because Lex Luthor himself had cameras installed in the tomb. Just, uh, don't have that. And if it's just to test the prototype, surely Lex Luthor has the means to do that in private. And if he wants an army of mindless Superman drones, why program the first one with Superman's morality? Why program it with anything but instructions to do Lex's bidding? And the only reason he needs a convoluted endgame strategy like Kryptonite and the Noggin is because he was trying to create the closest thing to the real Superman, but still be able to control it. And that is fascinating. That could have gone in any number of neat directions. Maybe he wants to change the public perception of Superman and then publicly defeat him himself and be the hero. Maybe he wants to make him exactly the same and show everyone why he's better than the altruistic Boy Scout. Anything but generic Superman clone army. It seems like nearly everyone in this movie starts off with a great setup for character rocks that never happen. It's also a little weird that the real Superman and Lex never have any sort of confrontation in this. And it's not in that cool way like Kirk and Khan never being on screen together. 
It ends with Lex having somehow survived the box drop to his doom and swearing that he'll still find a way to kill Superman. And since we know this is a standalone movie that would never have gotten a sequel, it's unfair teasing, at least for me, because I can't help but feel that as soon as the focus is on Superman's ideals versus Lex's, it instantly turns into a better movie. On a second Passover, this movie is even stranger than I realized the first time around. It makes some compelling arguments for telling a new, original, more concise story based Based on the original material, but then its heart just isn't in it and succeeds at delivering nearly the opposite message of the original and, I think, of the one it intends. Scoring this one is tough, because while I discovered a lot of intriguing stuff I didn't notice last time, when none of it paid off, it actually made it a little worse for me. Two is an average score, and when you make a Superman film where Superman seems to lower his standards and then everybody cheers, I think I've got to drop it down to a 1.5 out of 4. Sorry, Bruce Tim. I know it's been a while, but I'm back now. And I promise I'm not a cyborg, or a clone, or a guy in a metal suit, or a Kryptonian energy being... thing. It's really me. And I'm working on lots more new reviews. But you don't have to thank me. It's what I do.